to Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Evan Van Busicum. On today's program, we're featuring Ron Heller from Borderline Butchering to talk to us about the small butcher shop business and their current challenges and opportunities they're facing. Thanks, Ron, so much for being here today. Well, thanks for having me on the Sioux Nation Podcast. Anytime. There's been such a huge shift supporting more private butcher folks like yourself, private processors, in the last couple of years. How did you get into this? Did your family, was your family egg-based or what attracted you to this industry, if not? Yeah, a, a few different things. So I grew up in a small town in northwest Iowa, Terrell, Iowa. So I grew up on a farm and we had livestock. Started off with feeder cattle and then kind of moved to feeder hogs and did the whole operation there. So I was around that. My parents uh, actually were one of three owners in a small butcher shop. So they would uh, butcher their own uh, cattle and hogs when they uh, needed to. And that's kind of where I started. And then I just loved doing that as I got older, loved to hunt, did a lot of the things involved with hunting, processing, making sticks and jerky and summer sausage, that kind of things, and uh, just got good feedback on that, loved doing it, so helped more people out, and then eventually, just probably about five years ago, um, we decided uh, we wanted to uh, start a butcher shop at my parents' farm, so my parents still have their farm there. We set up a walk-in cooler, um, all the facilities it took for us to be able to butcher for our family and friends, and that's... uh, Kind of brought me to today where uh, we looked at land. I was going to do it on the side, set up my own butcher shop, and then it kind of changed and grew into what it is today of borderline butchering, where a few animals became now 40 to 60 animals a month. That's awesome. I uh, grew up uh, on a small family farm myself, and we did all of our own processing. It was a great way to make a dollar stretch a little bit when you cut up your own pig. If you just buy it alive and you do it yourself, it makes it a little cheaper because the job and the service you provide isn't easy and it's not free. We encourage people as well, too, because some people come in and say, well, I don't have the facilities to do this, but if you slaughter it and you hang it for me, can I come pick it up full and finish the process myself? And yeah, most times I oblige and say, you bet. I have no problem with that. And yeah, I kind of like people that like doing stuff like that on their own. So if they want to come in and, and uh, you know, I can do part of the process and they can finish it. I mean, that's great. Can you describe your business currently and, you know, like a little bit for our listeners? So, you know, roughly like how many employees do you try to have and, you know, what's your typical work week look like? So what we're considered here is a custom retail butcher shop, which means we uh, can provide for the customer. So from the live animal walking through the door to box meat uh, out the door, uh, but we are we're state inspected, so we have inspector come in once a month. Uh, but we do not we're not fully inspected. Where okay, we're not USDA or state where there's inspector here full time, and we can actually sell the meat that we uh, butcher in the back in the front. So we sell anything we do retail, which comes with the custom retail side of it. We have to get from distributors and go that route. Uh, as far as employees. Uh, that kind of varies, and that's kind of one of my uh, issues, like other small businesses, is trying to get employees and good quality employees. But uh, we have two full-time and one part-time, not including myself. So there's four of us here on some days, three of us on most days. But uh, the biggest thing I found is getting proficient, efficient employees that uh, do a great job. And I've got 
two fantastic or three fantastic employees now. I just uh, wish I could find a couple or clone a couple of them and I'd, I'd be good to go. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at now with the business. So who are some of your main customers? So we get what I would call two different kinds of customers that come to the door for the most part. Um, I would consider most of them small to medium beef and hog producers. So um, there's those that bring in uh, those beef for their family and friends, usually like two to four years. So every year about, you know, certain time depends when they, their cattle or their hogs are uh, ready to be brought in butchered. They bring in that two to four animals and, you know, for their family and friends. And then there's others that uh, they're still uh, small to medium beef and hog producers, but they, they have a customer base where they can bring in anywhere from 10 animals to 50 animals, even more than that. We got some that maybe even be pushing a hundred or more animals they bring in here, but it's all for customers in the local area. They just got a big customer base and been doing it for a long time and, and got people that I've come back for 25, 30 years to the same farmer because they know they got really good quality. That sounds really interesting. Do you do uh, beef and pigs only, or do you also do small ruminants or, or you know, do you do, do deer in the hunting season? There's different, uh, there's some limitations when you start getting into like goats and sheep and some other animals. Um, so I have to follow the rules of the animal industry board. So because of those, I can still do them, but there's uh, rules that I have to follow that I'm not set up uh, for. So I kind of exclude sheep and goats because we have a lot of questions on or people calling and asking about that. But um, wildlife, yeah, we do. Uh, we did a little last year. We're just too busy now to accepting wild game. We do buffalo, though. We have done uh, one buffalo. We've got a couple schedules to come in. So, um, yeah, buffalo. Hogs and cattle, I think, are probably the ones I'm going to try to stick with for the most part. When you get buffalo in, I think that just sounds super interesting. What's that like? I'm a veterinarian, and one of my classmates in vet school, his family raised buffalo for processing. And it just sounded like they were like, they had the kind of the attitude and the skittishness of deer. That's my bigger concern about buffalo. So the one we did was already brought in. It was somebody that went hunting and shot a buffalo. The two we have coming in here, I think they're coming in in about two months. They got their schedule to come in, and they're going to be in live on the farm just over probably about an hour west of uh, Sioux Falls. They have a lot of buffalo, but, yeah, my concern is just exactly what you had mentioned, how skittish they are. I found that uh, you want to overbuild anything that you, when you start talking about uh, beef in particular, you want to overbuild everything that you have because they're really hard on your equipment and uh yeah, buffalo, I can imagine, would be just as bad or worse when it comes to that because, you know, they're, they're skittish, don't want to be penned up, and they're used to, you know, the wide open spaces. So when you confine them, yeah, they could get a little skittish, nervous, everything else, making making the whole process a little harder for me. And that uh, makes me a little nervous, but you don't know until you try, until you do it. So I did tour a processing facility. I, I should say I've toured several with different species through vet school, you know, it's it's so fortunate, I feel like, to be able to to see some of those operations, like big all the way to small. And there was a smaller processing facility that used to do buffalo. They pretty much had them uh, shoot, and it was a completely covered everything shoot. So the buffalo walked in, they'd be dispatched slash harvested, I guess you'd, you'd say, and then they would take them out of the shoot just so 
for safety. But I remember talking to a guy and he said one time the chute opened before the buffalo was harvested and that was a harrowing ordeal. So I wish you all the best luck and safety in those that buffalo harvest, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we've had a couple uh, interesting animals. Sometimes we get some longhorns or something where they they weren't they're not going to fit in the chute, so we actually have to we put them in a holding pen and then shoot them out there, or even in a trailer, and yeah, dispatch them in a trailer rather than trying to get them in a pen and get them worked up or anything like that. So yeah, it's really you want to try to do the best job of you know making sure they don't get too excited before you. You bring them in. So yeah, that's always a challenge, but you do it a few times, you kind of figure things out. So just one last real quick question about this. When I take cattle in, if I know that I got one that's a little wily, you know, I make sure to let the guys at the facility know, do you appreciate that? Or is that helpful? Because I think that maybe some of the producers that are bringing stuff in, if they know they got one that's a little on the wily side, you can probably take more precautions. Does that help or... Yeah, they, as long as they let me know before we unload it so we can do everything we can to, you know, make it as smooth as possible. But uh, prior to, there's not really a lot of that can be done, and I'll take them in. I just uh, like to give people, you know, fair warning that, you know, when animals come in that get uh, worked up or excited, there can be some uh, downside to the meat itself once it comes out. Absolutely. Um, I haven't seen that uh, personally, but where the meat can be, I guess, a little tougher because of the adrenaline that, you know, goes through the animal before they're dispatched. So we talked a little bit about how you kind of got started in the industry and the business. Why do you think more consumers are purchasing and processing their own meat on the hoof? That's a great question. I think there's several reasons why people do that. I think probably the biggest reason is the quality and uh, knowing where the animal and their meat is coming from. So one of the biggest eye-openers for me uh, doing this myself is seeing the quality of meat you get here. So you used to seeing most what people know is what they see in the grocery store, the cuts that are sitting in the the deli on the shelves and and so forth. When you get these animals and you start seeing prime, you know, beef more often than you see anything else. And it's like, where's all this prime beef going? If not to the grocery stores I see, because, you know, this is, you know, better than I'm seeing. And so, yeah, I don't know if it's going to restaurants in the East Coast, West Coast, whatever, but it's the quality. So you're seeing some really good meat that's coming through these butcher shops and the quality, I would think, would be the number one reason. But a couple other reasons, I think, is some people like seeing the farm to table where it's specifically if they have an animal they raise themselves or their friends raise, they know, okay, this is where it came from. This is how it is fed and knowing exactly what they're getting in front of them when they eat it. And I guess a couple other reasons, there's good value. You know, we we did a price a, a couple times on what you pay for the animal, the processing, and then what you actually put in your freezer and what you pay per pound. And there is really good value there. So I don't know why more people don't do that because the first time we priced when the cattle market was down, it was a little over $4 a pound for People were putting in the freezer, and that's for ribeyes, everything. So when you consider all the steaks and roasts and the, you know, the more expensive cuts of meat that people get when they get a whole or a quarter or half an animal or a whole animal, that's a lot better value than you would get in a grocery store if you bought all those cuts separate. That's been the selling point as I slowly kind of expand my freezer beef business has been just showing folks the value. It's, it's a little hard 
to get folks to say, okay, I'm going to spend, you know, six to $900 on a quarter of beef in a one lump sum type situation. But when you try to put it into perspective of what there's paying, like you said, for the same cuts at the grocery store, if they bought those same cuts over a period of time, I mean, I've even encouraged folks to, to buy a quarter and, and even just buy a freezer because the first year you have to buy it up front. But with the money you save buying that quarter, it pays for the freezer. You bet. And yeah, that's, you, you nailed it. There's, it's just that upfront cost is where a lot of people, they may live paycheck to paycheck and can't afford that, you know, upfront cost that it takes to buy all that beef and fill freezer. But I think that's where things changed a little too is COVID where they couldn't get, get meat or there was a shortage and, and then you can find a freezer because everybody started doing that where, okay, I'm going to fill my freezer in case I can't get meat or that type of thing. So, yeah, it was a little tougher to get the meat. And so, yeah, people started doing it more and more. What are some lessons that you've learned along the way with your operation? The very beginning was a sharp learning curve for me. So when you start a butcher shop, there's not a lot of people you can go out there and ask, how do you build this? How do you get things started? A lot of it in the building phase of it, knowing how things need to be set up. And I was fortunate. I had went to a couple other butcher shops, small butcher shops, and they've been great helping out. One in particular, I went to the Gregory Locker in uh, the Gregory County Locker and Kurt and Lonnie there, the owners of that locker were very helpful and uh, gave me a lot of insight in how things need to be done. So kudos to, you know, them and other butcher shops that are willing to, I guess you'd call me a competitor and help them out and get first started. Cause there's, you may think, you know, a lot until you start doing it yourself and you're like, okay, I, I have a lot to learn yet. And then how things flow, the equipment, how it works and how you start to finish, how you get stuff out the door, how to manage your time is probably one of the bigger things too. So time management and, okay, you can't do everything that people ask for sometimes. So you have to learn, okay, this is what we can do. This is what we can handle. Here's, you scale it to a point where, okay, it's manageable and you can get things done. So I'm going to tease one thing out because I, you know, you said like refer to yourself as a competitor for some of these other lockers. When you take a step back, are you really? Because the way I see it is that. At all. No, actually, I've got referrals from other lockers. People have. Uh, said, hey, we're busy, but tell the customer you can go over to Borderline Butchery and they may be able to help you out. So, Because right now in particular, everybody's so backed up and full. I, yeah, it's not really. And they're, they too are, you know, on the other side of the state. They're, you know, a couple hours away. So, yeah. Well, so I was just thinking, it's like, you know, all the places I know, custom places, I mean, some of them are anywhere from five months to a year out. And so, there's more than enough business out there for other people to do this job. So it's not like you're taking food out of their mouths or work out of their hands. So it's, I'm really glad that you started up this business, even though you're not close enough for me maybe to use. The more people we have doing this is, is a benefit for all of us in ag. Yeah, especially in ag and the farmers for sure, because yeah, I've been able to help out a lot of these uh, farmers more so in the beginning than now, but, you know, say they have an animal that is a cool animal that uh, they won't get anything from the cell bar and it breaks the leg and they're going to have to, you know, basically have rendering works come and get it. They can make it into, you know, a product that they can consume. And yeah, it's a win-win there because yeah, if not, it's just money out of their pocket every time they uh, get a broken leg. And that happens, that happens quite often. 
what have you learned about you know specifically working with people and customers directly? Ninety-five percent or higher are, are great people to work with. Very excited. You know, you're always going to get some customers that, no matter what you do, aren't going to be happy. But uh, we don't find them very often. Most people are very uh, pleased, or they are just yeah, great people. Especially when you get into the ag community, it seems like a lot of the producers that bring their animal in are very grateful. Uh, just met some fantastic people that have come to the door, and it's so easy for me to relate to them because. I grew up around that stuff that, you know, they love talking about animals and I love talking about them as well. So what would you like to say and share with our listeners about operating an, an egg business today? I mean, we kind of covered a little bit and talked about, you know, how labor is a, a struggle sometimes for you and for other folks in this small business sector, but any other things I should say that you want to add? Yeah. To learn that business. Well, I think there's a couple things. So strive for quality, like for producers that bring animals in, strive for the quality in their animals. That's what people are looking for. People are looking for the best meat they can get. I see it on a daily basis come to your people like, okay, what, how is the quality of that animal? They're, they're asking me and I'm, you know, I'm pretty straightforward with them. Okay. Yeah, it was good. Oh, it was okay. You know, so the animals that are brought in, if they, the genetics in their herd, I see that plays a big part into how marbled the meat is. It's surprising I get some from the same producers, the quality of meat. You know, they could be up prime more times than not beef that comes through and others that is it's okay, but it's nothing great. So how they're fed directly impacts the quality. So some people are really into the organic grass fed and there's some fantastic animals that come through that are grass fed, but they really have a quality a management program where they are very strict and yeah and it shows in the animal when it comes through the doors for us so try for the quality and uh, you'll get to more people that'll keep coming back and you may end up spending more money to get that animal to where it needs to be but i think there's most people are willing to pay for that if they're getting that kind of quality what would you say over the years has been your greatest challenge and how did you overcome that challenge Greatest challenge I find it is the workforce, the manpower, trying to find uh, the help here, finding good candidates. You know, I've been fortunate. It just takes time, I think, because uh, I kind of realize that once I get good people here, you got to make sure you keep them. And that's what I plan on doing. So you just, you, know, you pay them accordingly. So you will keep them. And uh, it's just, that's just part of the process. But I think, yeah, nowadays that's, biggest challenge I face with this business or probably a lot of small businesses out there is finding good quality help. And since I started and you just don't get a lot of people apply, I don't know if there's not a lot of people out there looking for jobs. The unemployment is pretty low, but yeah, that's my biggest struggle or challenge. The other parts of it, you kind of work along, you know, this business in the beginning was pretty tough starting up, but you know, you work all those bugs out as you go and things seem to work out. But trying to find good people is just a, it's a challenge. So what's been your greatest reward, do you feel? Greatest reward, just the experiences I have through the people that come through the door. They're, when they're excited and they tell me, yeah, that was some of the best beef that uh, I've ever had, or that's the best steak or best this, that, or the other that I've had. And a lot of times I, I tell them, you know, it's the person that brought the animal in. That's who you got to give the credit to. But yeah, you know, the people and the interaction with the people here, I like working with people and having people come through the door and talk about the things I like talking about. And that's, that's me. So um, yeah, just my reward is people that come through every day and 
tell me about how they enjoy what I do and the, the meat they're getting on their table. So do you have any advice for young producers or egg entrepreneurs starting out? Oh, that's a tough one there. So it's just, you know, the quality of animals and how that uh, can impact, you know, find out a niche in the, there's always niches out there where figure somebody's going to want something that maybe hasn't been done before, or they can do it a little better and find that niche in whatever you do and, and just run with it. Sounds awesome. Is there anything I didn't ask about that you wanted to, to share? No, I say people may be out there and support uh, local farmers and small business. So the best thing you can do is go out to these. Uh, they can call me up and ask, hey, where's the, you have any farmers on the list that, uh, you know, have good quality animals? And uh, I'd be happy to provide, you know, names to farmers that can get them good animals. And that's really, I think, the backbone of this country is the farmers and small businesses. So we need to make sure we keep it local and, and support farmers, support local businesses. Sounds awesome. Well, thanks again so much for your time, Ron. I really appreciate taking a moment and, and sharing with our listeners this side of agriculture, which I think is really important. It's just, you're a crucial link between farm and the table. Well, I appreciate you having me on the Sea Nation podcast today. Thank you listeners for giving us a, a listen today. This is, a, I think, a pretty interesting podcast. So, I mean, if you didn't find it useful, I'm sure you found it interesting.